Please join me in reading the Litany of Invitation and Confession. We believe God calls us into Christian community with the challenge to discern and act upon ongoing revelation of God in our time and place. We live out this vision by being a church rooted deeply in liturgical traditions. Where intergenerational friendships are valued. All members can be known by name. Open-mindedness is the basis of spiritual formation. Resources are shared generously. And where hands-on service is crucial to our own discipleship and the mission of Christ in the world. We celebrate this vision through the intimacy of a loving congregation. The strength of Baptist freedoms. And the reach of an ecumenical and inclusive spirit. However, we do not always live into the vision of the church we intended to be. We confess our reluctance and ask for God's forgiveness. God meets us where we are. God has forgiven us. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church. And uh, like Mary Frances said, we are forgiven. So let us rejoice, especially on a 65th anniversary Sunday where we celebrate being the people of God on this hill for a very long time. Welcome especially to those of you who are our guests. And as I look about, John Chaclet. Mark, sorry. <laughs> Mark Shacklett. Your dad was the associate pastor when John Howell was pastor. He was the fourth pastor here at Northside uh, Drive Baptist. And Betty Conley and family are here. Uh, her husband, John, uh, Tom Conley. I'm all messed up today. Sorry. I guess I'm just so happy to be here. Just, I'm just excited. Tom Connolly was the sixth pastor at our church, and so welcome uh, uh, Betty and, and family. Uh, and other folk who I see and recognize and am welcoming home here. It's a good day to be together, especially as we began worship by singing a hymn written by a charter member, Bedford Davis, and then to be welcomed in our call to worship by one of our newest members, Mary Frances Hedrick, to read our vision statement that uh, defines who we are as a people of God. So it's good to be together in God's house. There is on the order of your, the edge of your order of service, uh, a welcome card, a response card. If you're a guest today, you can fill that out, drop it in the plate. It'll help me connect a name and face. Also, if you have a prayer request, it's an honor to pray for you. And our deacons and our staff pray for you every week by name and by need. So you can place that on the card and drop it in as well. And now the text today. There are three of them. The first one starts in the Old Testament about, <laughs> about the grumbling in the wilderness, looking for God's help in the wilderness. That starts us. The, God, the, the epistle lesson will tell us about being a loving community. And then the third lesson is what I'll be preaching from. It's that parable where the latecomers get as much as those who worked all day long. It's just not fair, but that'll be it. As we, we come here with our ears filled with um, threatening words of war this week, we come with our, our lives concerned about those suffering from hurricanes, devastation, and we come to this place with our hearts open and porous so as to hear the book read 
and to hear how God has met God's people for 65 years on this hill and throughout our past. Welcome. God hears the complaints of God's people in the wilderness and provides meat and manna for nourishment. A reading from the book of Exodus. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. Each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them, whether they will follow my instruction or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, In the evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning... In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your complaining against the Lord. For what are we that you are complaining against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and your fill of bread in the morning, because the Lord has heard the complaining that you utter against him, what are we? Your complaining is not against us, but against the Lord. Here ends the first lesson. And now let us say our prayers. God, we thank you for Northside Drive Baptist Church's 65th anniversary. We thank you for the Bereans class and all of the other church school classes. We thank you for the volunteers who give their time for the church. We pray for Louise Davis that she would feel better and for all those who are sick and in pain. We pray for the victims of the recent hurricanes and for all those who have lost their homes and lives. And now we will pray as your son Jesus taught us to pray, saying boldly, Our Father, Father who, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The mind is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Philippians. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. And this is God's doing. For he has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well, since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Here ends the second lesson. Children, boys, you can join us at the front. And Pastor James will take your offering. So quiet today. All right. I am so glad to see all of you here. Bright and smiling faces. So, have any of you ever been camping? No. Some of you have. In your backyard, maybe? That's a fun way to camp. Yeah. Pastor James, have you ever been camping? Uh, 
A bear ate your friend's lunch? That's crazy. Well, Pastor James, you used to go to, love to go camping. What do you take camping with you? I take my backpack. I sometimes take some water, if there's no water where I'm going. And I take some food, and I take my uh, bedroll, or what I sleep on. Sleeping bag, yes, that's it. Well, our story today is about a group of people who were camping in the desert. Have any of you ever been to the desert? No. No? You have? What was it like? Very hot. Was there much water? No. Yeah, so some of the cactuses stored the water. Yeah, lots of animals, reptiles, that's right. Well, in our story today, the Israelites were running from the Egyptians. Like we learned last week, they were running away, and they had to to live in the desert, that's right. But they were there for so long, they ran out of food and they ran out of water. And they started to get angry because they were scared that they were going to die if they didn't have any food or nourishment, right, to live. So they got angry with their leaders, with Aaron and Moses. They were very angry. But really, they were angry with God, that God wasn't providing for them. And do you know what? God heard their cries and their complaints. And do you know what God sent them? That's right. He sent them bread. We're not going to eat this bread today. But the bread that was sent from God was a special kind of bread. And they, they didn't know what it was. They saw this on the ground, and they asked each other, What is this? What is this? We have never eaten this before. And then they realized this is the bread from God to give us life And it's a sign from God saying that God will take care of us in all we do. So, whenever you feel like you're angry with God or you're angry with other people, you can know that God loves you and God is going to provide for you and take care of us. Right? God will always take care of us. So remember that. Let's pray. Dear God, Thank you for stories like this that remind us of your ever-loving presence and that you will always take care of us no matter what. Thank you for listening to us and for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen.
The generosity of God is seen in the parable of the day laborers, a reading from the gospel according to Matthew. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And at about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. And when those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. And now when the first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. Welcome to you on our 65th anniversary. And to those worker bees who are down in the fellowship hall making our party possible where we'll go right after worship. This is our anniversary. And uh, there are many kinds of anniversaries. For instance, there is the kind where the couple sits together on the couch. They look at each other, they're holding hands, And one says, has it really been 10 years? It's hard to believe it's been 10 years. It's an anniversary. Another anniversary where at the company picnic, kind of at the end of the year, and the boss calls forward the employee with a lapel pin in his hand, places it there, and says, 20 years, 20 years of, of, of good work. Congratulations. It's hard to believe it's been 20 years. Or an invitation comes to you and it says you're invited to your 25th high school reunion. Please come. It's an anniversary. And so you go, you walk in the room, and nobody looks really familiar. (laughs) And then you glance over at one wall and you see a familiar face. Uh, I think I know that person. They just look older and fatter. Uh, And then you realize you're looking at a mirror. (laughs) It's an anniversary. Or you're with a friend. He's paying at Starbucks, reaches in his pocket, going through the change, and you notice there something different. And you say, uh, what kind of uh, coin is is that right there? And he goes, oh, well, that's not a coin. It's a chip. I got it on my 30th anniversary of sobriety, and I'm so proud. It's an anniversary. Or then a couple stands before their extended family, holding hands, and says, 50 years. 50 years, it's hard to believe it's been that long. Where have the years gone? There are many kinds of anniversaries that we've all celebrated. But today we are at an anniversary for a church, our church in particular. 
And anytime there's an anniversary for a church, it has all of those elements of the others that I've mentioned, plus one more, a wild card, and it is God. For the question comes at a church anniversary, what is God asking of us now, today? What is God up to in God's world now, today? And what unique part do we have to play in God's great drama? If you scratch the surface of every scripture, you will find those questions. What is God up to now? What is God asking of the people in these scriptures? It's like the Jesus story in the parable where all of those go out to work and uh, some late in the day, early in the day. But what is God asking? It's like the Moses story. They were wandering in the wilderness. Would God provide enough food and bread, water for them? Both of these stories have the people of God living into the legacy of God. But there is this tension in the text. And it's the tension that we feel in our church. The tension is, in the text they are to remember what God has done with an allegiance to their traditions. But also they are to be open to the trajectory, the grand crescendo of God that is larger than the traditions they've brought. The trajectory of God whom they are to follow from the old to the new. There's a tension and we share that today. I'm not going to relieve that tension because I think it's a good thing. It's like a yoga pose for those of us who do yoga by groaning and by finding the pose and holding it a little bit longer, hold it a little bit longer. And it is something about that that's good. I'm not sure what, but I've heard it's good for you because our future life depends on flexibility, not rigidity. And so we hold the attention. In the pastor's Bible study this week, uh, we talked about this uh, text of the, the parable. And uh, we practically took a vote on it, and the vote was, this is the worst scripture in the Bible. I won't call the name of the person who said that because uh, Barney Moore is not here today. <laughs> and, uh, and so I wouldn't want to to name that. But I, I will say that I sided with Barney. It is not fair. The parable is just not fair. If fairness is based upon the amount of one's work and fair pay for that amount of one's work, then it's just not fair to pay the late comers, those who came the last hour, the same as the early risers who were there the first hour. Those who worked all day long made as much as those who barely worked at all, that's not fair. But as we scratched on the text, we discovered that the text really isn't about fairness. It's about God's graciousness, God's choice to be merciful. Now, how would you have felt if you were the listeners to Jesus' story and that your people, the Jews, for 1,500 years had been guardians of the stories of God the traditions of worship, the memories of God's liberation, only to hear Jesus imply that Gentiles, the latecomers, can join in the parade at the last minute and claim God's love and grace for them too? Even for latecomers, that's just not fair. Or maybe, maybe the parable is about Matthew's church. Maybe there was a civil war going on in the church, and he was preaching Jesus' words to them. He was preaching to the old guard as well as the newcomers. The old guards had held fast to their tradition. You know, tradition, tradition, tradition. Well, they had hold, held on fast to that system, that pecking order in which to protect where they had been. But these newcomers in Matthew's church, why, some of them would even go out and gather wheat on the Sabbath. And they knew that that was wrong. And the church was feeling the tension. Maybe it's always that way where there is the edge of growth. And so Matthew is preaching this sermon. Or maybe the text is really 
for us, something for you and me. It's trying to do something to us, for we are all the latecomers. We are the ones that show up at the tail end of the text, only work one day, and are beneficiaries of all that has come our way over the last 65 years, as well as all the centuries before. Though I have been, I myself have been in our church for nearly one-third of our church's history, I still feel like a newcomer. After all, I wasn't there when the charters chartered. Charted a course of a church where, I always bring this. This was printed even before the building was built. It's sort of like the Shroud of Turin. And uh, we keep it under helium, I think, in the uh, archives room, uh, where it said, And they gathered with, with a single purpose in mind, to establish a church where neighbors could become good friends and together worship God in their own community. To me, that is the, the double helix that has been in our DNA about neighborly friendship and liturgical worship that has seen us every day since. I wasn't there when the charters, so I'm a latecomer. I wasn't there when Wesley Tigner, remember Wesley, and uh, family birthed the church around their table. I'm going to try to not put Hartwell's eye out back here, do a little LASIK surgery on him. But right there is is Wesley Tigner and his kitchen table. That is a picture in faceted glass from their kitchen. And the number 11 were part of those 11 uh, original charter members who were part of the story. It was the birthing room of hope. Nor was I there at the schoolhouse nearby in that picture, which would be Mars Brandon School. As the church began to meet, the mission began to meet, they needed a pianist, and um, they couldn't afford one. So there was one who volunteered, a uh, medical musician. It was Bedford Davis. He was the pianist. And they needed a choir director, and a young 30-year-old mother started directing. Her name was Louise. Now, if you're 30 years old, 65 years ago, and she's probably our last charter member left at 95, almost now 96. That was back in 1952. I wasn't there when the sign-up happened. When that first group all signed the document, we are chartering this church, Louise and Bedford did, George and Evelyn Smith did, Marjorie and Fisher Albertson did, Glenn and Ruby Allen did, Vivian Cook and Mr. Perk did. Compared to these matriarchs and patriarchs of our genesis, Not only am I, but all of us are latecomers. I was thinking of these things just eight days ago at Ken Boone's memorial service. Ken was the organist in our church from about 1971 to about 1989. And he was not only organist, but he represented more than that and did more than that in that role. Some of you were at that service for Ken just eight days ago. And uh, maybe it's my projection, but it seemed to me as if something important happened at that memorial service. For at that service, we got to name our gratitude for those amazing two decades. A Camelot, I called it, choreographed in the 70s and 80s by a trio, Clyde and Ken, Conley, and it was an era like none other. We named our gratitude. I talked to Betty Conley after the service about those remarkable days. We named our gratitude at that service a few days ago, but we also named our grief, for every era has a shelf life. As I said at that homily, History bears out that the mortar of Camelot is always mixed with gunpowder, no matter how noble it is. 
I won't go into detail about what happened after that. You newcomers can ask the old-timers, but be sure you ask several old-timers because you will get several different stories of what happened. But it's part of our makeup and our bones and muscle and our DNA. To me, at that memorial service, all of the different pieces of who we have always been became one. It was like the ends of the space-time continuum of past and present got bent together and touched. A few of you even said to me afterward, something got completed today. It was as if that the, the, the anxious flapping of the wings of memory, the wings of wonder, ah, and of woundedness, ah. It's like those wings found rest in the nest of forgiveness and grace. We bring both of those wings to worship every week. One of wonder, ah, and one of wounds, oh. But we bring them to this nest of forgiveness. And they work through the miracle of God and become a tandem of prayer and compassion. And against all odds, we mount up with wings like eagles and we take flight. Alas, the cultural forces in our world no longer help create what happened in the 50s and 60s. Alas, that which shaped us in the 70s and 80s no longer exists. But those cultural waves that crested for the church to ride on back then just aren't around anymore. No matter how much we liberals are, those fundamentalists beat the water with their anxious oars. You can't do time travel. But here's what the future and the past do have in common. What they have in common is God. We cleave to our traditions because that's how God has been our help in ages past. But then we open our arms in hope for years to come to God's ever-widening trajectory of welcoming love. That's what we have voted on. That's what we do as we discriminate against no one and we welcome all persons into that bright, good, wide future that God is drawing us. On this anniversary, all are welcome, even we who are latecomers. Amen. It is our tradition that when a word is offered, an invitation for dedication is given, and we stand on the shoulders of those who have preceded us, and we stand tall and give thanks. The central part of our faith is Christocentric, as we think of the life of Christ and the love of Christ, and we are called to love as he did. My Jesus, I Love Thee is the hymn of dedication and invitation. Let us stand together and sing.
Well, whenever we gather together, we bring our concerns and our joys and our memories and our prayers, and we have a few to share of those this morning with you. Begin with um, the great work that this church has historically done with Habitat for Humanity. A couple of announcements in relation to Habitat. There's a sign-up sheet that's in the table in the narthex as you leave. If you're interested in participating in a Habitat Interfaith Build Day, uh, we encourage you to look at that, pick a day, and sign up. And uh, we thank uh, Dave Wooten and all those who have contributed to that uh, historically for this great opportunity. There will also be a Habitat for Humanity luncheon on November the 12th. So mark your calendars on November 12th. We'll be celebrating 25 years of our tradition of working with Habitat for Humanity, and we're looking forward to that day. There will be a Family Mission Day for parents uh, and their children on November 5th. So if, if parents could mark that in their calendar, we'll be getting more details on that soon. And you'll notice as you leave uh, the sanctuary today that there's a, a table um, set up for our shawl ministry. So you can look at some of the handiwork that has been done by our, our great volunteers in the church knitting together with their love and prayer, their concern um, in these beautiful shawls. So look at that as you leave. We turn now to our prayers and the many prayers and concerns we have this week. We lift up by name Louise Davis and her continued recovery. I, I spoke to Louise this morning on the telephone and, and she said to tell you that she so wished that she could be with you this morning, but she can't. She was hospitalized on Friday, then released, and it's kind of been in and out for her. And she's very tired, she said, but she said, I wish I could be with you. So we know, Louise, that you're with us in spirit, I said, and we will pray for you today. We also lift up Hal Meeks, who had uh, day surgery earlier this week um, for his back uh, and is uh, recovering this week. Uh, we pray for him, so keep Hal Meeks and Joe in your prayers. Also, Nancy Davis, that is the daughter of Louise Davis, who lives in California, underwent heart surgery earlier, uh, or last week, rather, so we'll pray for Nancy Davis in California and the Davis family. And finally, the, uh, the family of Doc Clark, please keep them in your prayers. Many of you were able to join us for the funeral service this past Friday, so we lift up the family of Doc Clark. And as we pray, we remember, too, uh, a joy, all the memories that we've had, and I confess I'm a latecomer, too. Those who have been here about 90 days will, will join uh, <laughs> below. Uh, after the service uh, in the fellowship hall, we'll have a luncheon, so um, we look forward to celebrating, looking at pictures, and, and having great fellowship. And, um, We'll continue with our offertory hymn, Let All the World in Every Corner Sing, uh, a poem that's over 400 years old that was set to music in the 20th century by an English composer, Ralph Vaughan Williams. And that great line, the church with psalms must shout, no door can keep them out. We'll remember that as we hear the choir, as we continue the worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings.
all-loving God, our voices ring out from our corner of the world, for we stand on the shoulders of giants. Because of this, our hands reach almost to heaven. Because years ago they planted something on this hill that was bigger than a building. They planted the realm of God in this part of the world where they were going to be a part of the dance. Invite us, O God, to the dance floor as well and receive these tithes and offerings as symbols of our gratitude. And so you have been our help in ages past. You are our hope for years to come. Be thou our guide while life shall last and our eternal home. In Christ's name, amen. And as we prepare to go and go to a meal, a fellowship in memory, I want to read from a book written by Tom Conley, the sixth pastor of Northside Drive. Uh, There are copies of this book. Oddly enough, I think there are 65 copies available on this 65th anniversary that Betty is donating to the church, and any who would like one are free to get it. They are out by the credenza in the narthex, and I'll be bringing them down to the fellowship hall. In the fellowship hall, I'll read a dedication letter that Betty has written that accompanies this gift. But for today, I want to read this benediction, and I'll end it with an amen. It, uh, and I think of this because of the shawl ministry, because of the knitting and the weaving. It goes like this. You have been and are like a strong quilt. 
bound with separate individual like none other pieces. You became one. We became one. And you, we, like that quilt, become strong and warming and covering as in and with grace and fully to be used. You are God's great and creative gift of life. And as we go in peace, we do so. Amen.